I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say that, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray that you would calm our hearts and allow us to focus on the word of God this evening. Lord, uh, we're going to talk about something that uh, is, is possible in every church, in every situation, really in every home, in every, on every job site, uh, in, in, uh, in, in every friendship. Uh, there can be division, there can be strife, there can be difficulty. And uh, Lord, there are some things that the Apostle Paul gave to this church uh, to, to help them with this situation so that so that there would not be division, so there would not be strife, to prevent dissension. And we pray, God, that you would give us some wisdom from above tonight. Help us, Lord, to, to really to see that it all begins with us as individuals. Speak to our hearts tonight through your word as only you can do. And we'll be careful to thank you and to praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Church of Corinth <clears throat> was a mess, <laughs> okay? It just was. There was, there was moral problems. There was uh, abuse of, of uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, there, was, there was a worldly atmosphere within the church. In fact, uh, Christians, uh, and this, is, this isn't Bible, but this is history. History tells us that if, if uh, you saw a Christian going uh, worldly, that they developed the phrase that that Christian had been Corinthianized. <laughs> now, that's not the kind of reputation you want your church or your city to have, but that's, that's exactly the, the kind of reputation that these folks had because of the mess that they had. Uh, the, uh, they had turned the Lord's Supper uh, into, a, into a, a, a real mess, and they abused their liberty in Jesus Christ. All those things were going on at the same time. But the very first thing that he addresses uh, in the letter, and he does so in the first chapter, is he addresses the, the uh, subject of division. And what had happened was, was uh, some people had gotten together and, and they, they started exalting the people that were leading them, the people that they were following, so to speak. And uh, they, were, they were saying, well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And, and, and so forth. And then the real super spiritual ones would say, well, I'm of Christ. I don't follow any man. Well, that's not right either. Uh, but, but the whole thing had just turned into division and had turned into, into strife. And, and, uh, and there was much contention within the church. Uh, I'm, I'm not preaching this message tonight because I think that there is great contention at Freedom Baptist Church. But I do know this. I know that if we don't work at it, that can happen overnight. I've seen it happen. I've, I've watched it. Uh, I've seen it in churches. 
And it's something that we have to be on guard uh, for on, on a continual basis. And like I said, it starts with us. It doesn't start with a group. It starts with an individual. And, and there's, there's four things that we need to take a look at tonight that, that uh, will help to prevent divisions and prevent us as individuals from starting to have a divisive spirit. And by the way, it, it, start, you know, it, it only takes one person to start that. It only takes one person to get a hook in their craw or to get sideways, and, and it, can, it can spread into the entire church. So there's, there's four things that I want, want us to look at tonight. The first one, I want you to look with me down in verse 10, the very first verse that we read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, the first thing that he told them to do is speak the same things. Now, he's not talking about uniformity here. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. Uniformity is everybody's in lockstep and nobody, nobody can, uh, you know, dares breathe out of sync. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, about just being in general agreement. And they weren't. They, they constantly had bickering and they constantly had strife. He didn't say that, that uh, everyone has to agree on everything. But, but the bottom line is this. When it comes to a church, you've got some, some basic doctrinal foundations. Our church has what we call a statement of faith. And there are some basic things that we as a church believe and we need to believe them together as a church. There has to be doctrinal agreement in a church. And that's, that's really where it starts. The Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, number one, for doctrine. For, and, then, and then it goes on to a reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But it starts with doctrine. We need to believe the same. We need to believe the same and therefore speak the same. Um, in other words, we need to speak of things that we agree on. Now, you can't, get, you can't get just this many people together and not have some disagreements. You've got people over here that believe some things that, uh, or have some opinions that people over here don't have. And... Uh, the the uh, opinions that are in both sides over here don't match some of the ones that are in here. I understand that. Uh, that that's that that's that's normal in a church. But when it comes to talking about things, don't talk about things which you're in disagreement of. Talk about things that you are in agreement of, and and particularly the major things that are that are that are major points of doctrine. We've. We've had, over the years, we've had different people come in, and, and uh, uh, they have had different beliefs than what we have. Well, then maybe we're not the church for them, and I, I understand that, um, uh, you know, I, and I have, I have no problem with that. Why? Because as a church, we need to believe alike, and we need to speak alike. We need to be given a testimony that is, that is uniform. 
Uh, you you want to you know you want to cause problems. Now I'm not saying don't ever disagree on anything, and I'm not even saying don't ever bring up things. Well, what about this and what about that? Graham Miller is known for uh, finding things in scripture and, and coming up to me and saying, "Preacher, what about this and what about that?" And sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't agree. I'll say this, there's never been a time when he and I have talked about something, walked away with a disagreement, but also walked away with a disagreeable spirit. That's never happened that I know of anyway, and I've never seen it in him. You've got to speak the same things. You've got to have an agreeable spirit with others. A good example of this, I worked for I worked for almost 15 years uh, out in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was associate pastor of the church from the day of its inception until the day I left. And uh, there were times when Pastor Keck and I uh, went loggerheads on some things. There was one thing in particular that I remember where, I mean, we just, we just had a knockdown, drag out, uh, you know, discussion about the thing. But we did it behind closed doors. Nobody else saw it. Nobody else heard it. Nobody else even knew that it was taking place. So there's one guy that knew because he was, he was also part of it. But, uh, but, when, but when we went out in public, we never talked about that thing. Why? Because we wanted to be speaking the same things. We wanted to talk about the things that we were in agreement of, not those things that we were in disagreement. And, and, and the bottom line is this. That there comes a point where you can agree to disagree, and you can do so agreeably. And, but, but these folks had, had contentions. Uh, usually what is involved, and when I, I've seen this in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of others. If you can't just leave it, there's probably a pride problem somewhere. In fact, the Bible teaches that that's definitely the case. It says in the book of Proverbs, it says, only by pride cometh contention. If, if it comes to the point where it's contentious and it becomes a head knocker, then there's pride involved. And that really is the bottom line problem. Even when these, these people were saying, well, you know, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And then another guy said, well, I'm of Christ. Uh, all of that thing uh, was, was, uh, was, was really just a, a, uh, a pride problem. Uh, they, they had some, some difficulties in that area, and, and Paul addresses it. The second thing that he, that, he, that he talks about is found in verses 11 through 13. Look down in verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And of course, the answer is no to both of those questions. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Um, what he's saying here is he says, don't exalt men. Now, it's okay to exalt Christ, but don't exalt men but exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there is a sense in which we follow men. Keep your finger here and go with me over to uh, chapter 11. 
Just flip over to chapter 11 and look at verse 1. Apostle Paul said this. He says, be ye followers of me even as I also am a follower of Christ. What he's simply saying is, is as I follow the Lord, follow me. And, and let me be the example and that the encouragement to, to get you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just when you're following somebody, don't forget who that person is following, okay? Because that, that puts it in the right perspective. You remember that the, the two of you together are following Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who ought to be exalted. Now, we are told to honor people. And you ought to do that. Um, you know, we, we just had an evening of gratitude. You know what that was all about? That was all about folks going to people that are in their lives and saying, listen, I am so thankful that God put you in my life because. And, and because of that, I'd like you to come to the evening of gratitude because that's what it's all about. And um, we, had, we had folks all over the sanctuary uh, stand up and introduce the people they brought and tell us why they were thankful. Uh, now, they were thank first of all, they were thankful to God for placing that person in their life. But they honored them for the part that they played in their life and the influence they had in their life. That's not a wrong thing. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a, that, that's a very good thing. And we're told throughout Scripture to, to uh, honor certain people. For instance, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, it tells us that we're to honor government officials. Uh, we're supposed to honor them. Now, sometimes that's tough to do because you don't necessarily agree with the government officials that you're honoring. But they have a position. And it has nothing to do with who they are, and it has everything to do with what position they hold. Um, the Bible talks about children honoring their parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 2, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother. And with that honor, the Bible says, uh, that thy days may be long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Uh, it, gives a, it, it gives a promise of elongated life. I really believe uh, my, my dad, as far as I know, my dad had never trusted Christ as Savior, and he died at the age of 93. He, 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 he died at 93. He did not exactly have a super clean life from the standpoint of he did some things that should have affected his health. I really believe, but one of the things I saw, I watched him honor his father. I watched him honor his mother. I watched him honor my, my, uh, my mom's, my, my first mom's mother, because the, the, uh, her father had already passed away. I, I uh, watched when he got remarried. He honored the, he, he honored uh, my second mom's uh, first husband's mother and, and, and cared for her and, and did things for her and was a blessing to her. I watched him honor all of those, those people that were in his life. And, uh, and I also watched God give him a, a life of 93 years. I think that's pretty good. Uh, God wants us to honor folks, but he does not want us to exalt them above Jesus Christ. First uh, Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3 says that we're to honor widows. Uh, we're supposed to give them a special place and be a special blessing to them. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, it talks about honoring uh, uh, servants, honoring their masters. And you can, 
You can turn that also into, if you're an employee, you, you honor your employer. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, it talks about giving double honor unto pastors. And it, uh, pastors that are, that are good pastors and that are, that are faithful pastors. So God tells us to, to honor those people. But what is our rallying point? Our rallying point are, are not individuals. You know, I, I love Brother Sam Gibb, but he's not my rallying point. Uh, I hope you love me as your pastor, but I'm not your rallying point. Our rallying person is Jesus Christ. And we ought to always keep that in the forefront of our, our, uh, of our hearts and minds, is that he is always number one. Don't let anyone get in in between in that position. Then the third thing that, that Paul uh, pointed out, if you go with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look with me in verses uh, 27 through 29. Verse 27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And then you, go, you drop down to uh, chapter 2, and look at the first five verses. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And he's talking about himself. He says, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's saying, listen, I, I, I had trouble speaking, I had much fear, I had trembling, I had weakness, and yet God used me in spite of that. You look back in the Old Testament, and time after time, God gloried in using weak things. Uh, he, uh, he called Gideon to go up against the Midianites. And uh, he called him a mighty man, man of valor. And he called him a mighty man of valor when he was hiding in a wine vat, uh, treading out, or, or actually in a, in a, in a, uh, a treading, treading mill, uh, treading out the wine. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, he, he, he uh, uh, called him a mighty man of valor. He wasn't a mighty man of valor then, but he saw the potential in him. And he saw what he could do with someone who was really weak. Uh, the, the army that went up against them was a very small army, but they defeated a very large army. Why? Because God likes to use weak things. God likes to use small things. Uh, the, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, D David was probably a teenager. He might have been an older teenager. We don't know exactly, but he was a young man. and He was nothing in, in stature compared to Goliath the giant. And yet God used him to defeat him. There were other men that were a lot stronger than, than he was. There were other men that were much better warriors than he was. And yet God used little David 
to, to uh, defeat Goliath. He likes to use those kind of things. In verses 27 through 29, chapter 1, this is the list that God gives to us that he uses. I don't know about you, but I love this passage of Scripture because it gives me some hope. <laughs> I, I realize that, hey, uh, I fit some of those categories, and that means God can use me. He likes to use foolish things. He likes to use weak things. He likes to use base things and despise things and things that are nothing. So no matter who you are, God can use you. And if God uses you, if God uses you, it's not a compliment on your ability. It's a compliment on your God. Uh, David did not defeat Goliath because David was a mighty warrior. Now, he was, he was brave. He was courageous. He was steadfast. All those things are true. But he was so much smaller than, than, the, than the giant was. Who was it, do you think, or what was it that guided that stone up to the forehead of that, uh, of that giant. It was God that did that. And God got the honor and God got the glory. If, if God uses you, it's not that you're a big deal, but that your God is a big deal. Look at what Christ did for you. And, and that's what it says basically in verse 30. It says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the people that he just called foolish, weak, base, despised, and things that are nothing. And, and he said that, that uh, uh, Christ is the one who really has accomplished whatever you have accomplished for him. You've accomplished it for him because he's given you the strength to do, do so. And in verse 31, it says that, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Don't glory in man. Don't glory in what you might have accomplished, but glory in what Christ has accomplished through you. If, uh, you know, we've, we've just gone through a, a, a growing season, and uh, you may have had a garden. Uh, we went uh, this summer, we were over at, at the Cherry's house, and uh, the Cherry, by the way, pray for them. They had a death in the family here just this last week. It was an accident over in Buffalo, and uh, uh, Andrew Cherry's uh, nephew, uh, 19 years old, died in a car crash over there. Just really, really rough. It's rough on the family and be in prayer for them. But we were at their house and saw their garden. They, have a, they had a beautiful garden. But, you know, uh, I, we didn't look at the garden and say, wow, that's a beautiful garden. Can you show me your tools? I want to see the tools that you use for that garden. No, I, I realize, we realized that regardless of what tools they used, they were the ones that did the work. Well, the truth of the matter is we're just the instruments that God uses. That's all we are. We're just, we're just the tools for the garden. And God's the one who does the work. And so he's the one that ought to get the glory. If you give the glory to the right person, if you realize that if, if you're used of God, it's because of him. Yes, you need to do what you need to do. But you need to do your responsibility. But give the honor and give the glory to God, and there won't be, there won't be division. And then the very last thing 
If you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look with me in the first three verses, or excuse me, the first six verses. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, some of these people have been saved for a little while, and they should have been a lot further along than they were, but they weren't. Why? Because they were babes in Christ. Now listen, every time when, when a person trusts Christ as Savior and gets saved, uh, in their newborn state as a believer, they are a babe in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's where all of us started if you've trusted Christ as Savior. But there's something wrong if four years later you're still in that state. You should have grown by then and grown out of that baby stage. They had not grown out of that baby stage. Look in verse 2. I have fed you with milk and, and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for, you're not, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while, while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So the last thing that he's telling them is to, to do is to grow up, is to cease being carnal and start growing up in Christ. A sign of carnality is division and is strife. But it's but it's not it's 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 not it's not the cause. Carnal means to be fleshly. And that just simply means you emphasize yourself. All right? We need to get past emphasizing ourselves and start emphasizing Jesus Christ and grow in him. The greatest thing that you can do for your family. The greatest thing that you can do for your personal relationships. The greatest thing you can do as a church member. The greatest thing that you can do for the uh, uh, company that you work for is, is to grow in Christ and be right with God on a, on a day-by-day basis. I, I have listened to and been a part of discussions having to do with revival in America. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if revival in America is something that's going to happen or is even possible at this point. I don't know. And you know what? That isn't even really what, they, what the issue is. There is one thing I know that is possible, and that is for me to have revival in my life every day for you to have revival in your life every day. It's possible every single day for you to be right with God, for you to walk with God, for you to grow a little bit in, more in Jesus Christ. And the problem was these folks weren't doing that. They were emphasizing themselves and they were emphasizing their own wants and their own needs. And, and uh, because of that, they were carnal. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to the book of James. Book of James. The people that James was addressing <clears throat> 
had some of these same problems. And in James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4, he addresses them. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Again, they had divisions. Come they not hence of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There were two problems they had. They were putting themselves first and they were friendly with the world. Uh, you, and that was, that was the problem over in the church at Corinth. There was worldliness that would run amok, uh, amok and there was a tremendous pride going on. Well, those two things will cause division and will cause strife. God says, listen, don't, don't get carnal. Stay right with God. And that's something that every single one of us can do. These are, these are some, some things that, that God said that we can do. Uh, we can do specifically on a day-by-day basis in order to prevent division. Why is it so important? Because it'll be a blessing to our church. It'll be a blessing at your workplace. It'll be a blessing in your personal relationships. And it'll be a blessing at home. And it'll be a blessing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this this evening about where are we when it comes to these things. Where are we when it comes to speaking? Do we, do we love to speak things that divide or do we like to speak things that, that unify? Uh, do we, do, do we uh, uh, like to exalt man or do we enjoy exalting Jesus Christ? These are things that we can do on a day-by-day basis and it'll have an effect. It'll have an effect on our walk with you. It'll have an effect on our homes and our church on the job, in relationships, in every area of life. God, show us areas where we are lax in, that, in those things. And Lord, shore those things up for us so that we would not fall into the, into the types of problems that the Corinthians had. They had the potential and eventually had a much better church because they addressed those things. But Lord, as, as long as they were carnal, as long as they were, were selfish and put themselves first, as long as they gave themselves glory rather than realize that if anything was accomplished through them, it was accomplished because of Jesus Christ. Until that took place, there was strife and there was division. And when they addressed those things in their personal lives, it always starts with one person, always starts with the individual. And I pray, Lord, that tonight that it would start with us. Work in our hearts, and as you speak to our hearts, may we say yes to you during this invitation, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's stand with our heads bowed.